Your life experience, good or bad, is a gift when you share it with others. At Taxi Chronicles, we allow real riders with real stories to share their gift. So hopefully this episode will intrigue, enhance or inspire you. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Morning, morning, morning. Yes, we're back with another episode, another rider. Today we have an honour to have um, two... A lady who's going to, who understands about scars and surgery, but we're not just going to talk about that. We're we're talking about beauty influences and many other things. So today we call her Sally, and um, nice to have you here today, Sally. Nice to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity to you know participate. Okay, so we we were discussing about scars. <clears throat> yeah. And um, you were saying that you needed to cover up your scalp. Yes, I'm going to have laser now just to, you know, help to blend it a bit more and make it more flat, more uniform with the rest of the skin, less noticeable. Okay. Is it a painful process? Uh, yeah, it's painful. Actually, it is painful. Uh, it does take a few days to um, heal as well after the, after the laser. So I was... I, um, do you have to go again and again and again? I've gone to someone, you know, who specializes in um, scar treatment. I think there isn't that many people who do specialize. So that was, I think, Dr. Asif, Hussein Asif. That's in Central London. The treatment is a little bit more expensive, but at least you know that he's, you know, specializing in scar treatments, that he's going to get you results faster than anyone else. Other people have quoted, like, I need eight treatments, 12 treatments. But with him, within the first treatment, I've noticed um, a huge improvement. So this is just my second appointment. Okay. Um, So this is not done on the NHS? No, I have to pay for it from my own pocket. Does does the NHS, do you know, do they um, provide a situation like this? Or does it have to be if it's on your face or something? Um, I think only if it's like a huge part of your body if it's on your face and because if they deem it to be cosmetic then they're not going to you know fund it so you have to fund it yourself usually you know the NHS they only cover things that are life-threatening and even like you know any skin conditions scalp conditions you're going to have to bite yourself any like you know headache pills and all of this before they used to fund that but now um, you know, under the conservative uh, government and everything, there you have to pay for everything yourself now. Okay. So how do you feel about that? Um, I mean, I know they're trying to, you know, get the country out of debt and all of that, but it does feel worse. You know, it does feel worse. And you know, back then my university degree was also paid for, so I didn't, you know, I had minimal debts when I graduated. I had a one thousand pound grant per year, and I had my tuition fee paid for me per year that was like three thousand a year because back then it was only three thousand a year and then i had four thousand student loan per year so i kind of graduated with like twelve to thirteen thousand debt which i cleared already and it was easy but now when students graduate they've got like 40 50k and if you're doing a master's program when you had to retake a year then it's up to a hundred thousand k how is anyone supposed to repay that mm-hmm. maybe they don't want us to study yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. Like, maybe they just want the only the privileged people to be able to attain it, and now it's nine thousand per year the tuition fee. I don't know. They they just, they just made it really exclusive or something, you know? Okay, Very difficult. Before, at least with labor, they were trying to 
they were being fair and whoever has the you know the desire to do a degree and they can keep up with completing the you know committing to a three-year program or four-year program even if you came from really really like you know humble beginnings and you know humble background or even like you know a family that's kind of like i don't know they're not very like they're all just on benefits for generations or something like this but you want to break the cycle you want to make something of yourself at least the opportunity was there so those people from poorer backgrounds they funded you know they, they you get your tuition fee paid you have a grant on top of that so it made it accessible mm-hmm. for you to change you know the your predicted life what what people think like okay your parents were on benefits so you're going to be on benefits your kids are going to be on benefits at least they allowed you to break the mold get a degree even though your parents may not have had the degree you know yeah. to change your perspectives in life do you know that um was it um google apple and um tesla mm. all say you don't need a degree to work for them oh that's good but I don't know how their interview process is. I'm sure they they'll give you some sort of like tests and stuff to yeah. see yeah, how capable you are and how intelligent you are. Or I don't know. <laughs> do, do you know what? Um, I think it's either Microsoft or Apple. Mm. One year they put up a poster, mm. and the poster was just like a, a calculation, an algebra, algebra. Mm. and it was like on billboards. Mm. And um, everybody who solved that at the end would get opportunity to do an interview so when they did the poster it's like understand this email us mm. so basically it was emailing with the answer and that was a very ingenious way of getting the best people to the interview mm. because everybody else who saw that just drove past do you see what I mean mm. but the thinkers the people who were studying something in their own time so, so that was very. Um, I remember you don't have to have gone to uni to be able to work that calculation. Mm. It's just about your performance, <clears throat> about you know how you look at things. But, but you know, like the degree that I have, um, like I had an eleven-year you know career and everything. But now, after I became a mother and everything, my job I work in like you know the laboratory as a biomedical scientist. So. That's a 24-hour-7, you know, 24-7 service because, you know, ER is open during the night and they're doing blood testing through the night. People can have heart attacks in the night. So, of course, it's a 24-7 service. So it's not family-friendly because most of the time the jobs, they're not part-time. They're not just, you know, 9 to 5. It's going to be evening shifts, night shifts, weekend shifts, all sorts of shifts. It's not suitable when you have a small child, you need to take them to school and you can't sleep during the day, you know, as you would if you were single or something like that or maybe had more family support Mm -hmm. so now with that degree if i want to now get into say teaching because teaching is more family friendly at least it's more normal than you know biomedical science Mm -hmm. i don't need to do another bachelor's degree you just do like a one-year pgc program pgce program and you can get into teaching or just a training itt i think is initial teacher training to get the QTS uh, um, you know, certification, which is qualified teacher status, which you need in the UK in order to you know, teach. So it can be all just you know, hands-on training at school or hands-on training at school with some modules at a university 
to then get PGCE qualification. This is like postgraduate certificate in education. So I, with my degree already, because it's based in science, I can you know go into teaching science at maybe secondary school. So. You know, you save you. You know, this degree it it saved me. You know, time if I want to now change my career and get into teaching, yeah. I'm kind of looking at doing that. But well, it, but I hear what you're saying, and I, I'm not against degrees, especially in uh, certain industries, medical and stuff. But when someone turns around and tells me they're doing a business degree, I think you could go on YouTube and learn about business. If you studied, all, if you watch videos all about business all day, do you see what I mean? Yeah. Learn about what people have to say from the great minds of Warren Buffett. Even things like, I mean, I don't want to get any hate or anything like that, but sometimes when I see people doing things like art or, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> I sometimes feel like you could study that by yourself, but it's more like a leisurely thing, like something that you enjoy doing. It's like a hobby. I'm not sure how you make a career out of it, but you'd have to have natural talent, I think, to go into art. And you know, if you didn't have natural talent, how I don't understand how you would then get a job in art if you're not good at, say, you know, painting or something like that. Well, there is a, company, a government website called Arts Jobs, hmm. and there's all jobs relation to art hmm. that you can go on there. Maybe things like, maybe they restore paintings or something, because you don't really need that much skill when you're restoring well, paintings and stuff. Maybe it's something to do with this. I'm not 100% sure. There's a creative element that um, you can develop on, that mm. people can teach you. Mm. There are different styles, there are different things mm. to why they do things and how they do things. So I think that's plays a big part. Maybe I was just jealous of all the art students because they always had a lot of time. I think they only had like one or two classes per week and they were always, you know, going to the malls and stuff and, you know, like the shopping centres and things like that and the town centres and I don't know, they always looked like they're really enjoying their university life and having time to go shopping and eat, eat out, meet friends and just take things leisurely and really enjoy attending their lessons while our one, it was five days a week almost you know the whole full day it was it was like non-stop it was you know, exam after exam essay after essay write-ups for labs and i didn't i tried there was times where i enjoyed it when it was slightly slow paced but to be honest it was full on it was just too full on it was too much information as well compact in three years i didn't get to enjoy my degree i was probably jealous of those history and media and art students Why did you pick that? Because, you know, my father um, wanted me to become a doctor. You know, like typical Asian people, they want you to become a doctor or something like that. But I wasn't really happy to spend that many years. And plus, I just felt that I didn't have the passion to be a doctor. And so when I discussed it with my you know college uh, teachers, they said, just do biomedical science because that will get you in the lab. It will get you in the hospital. So every day you're going to the hospital. So your dad will be proud of you that your, you know, your work is at the hospital. But I guess you could be a cleaner and st still go to the hospital every day. That's, but that's what she said anyway. That's what one of my teachers said. Happy with that? Um, unfortunately, he actually passed away before I graduated. Yeah, I was very excited and I told him that I'm going to do, you know, biomedical science, I'm going to university, I've been accepted. And I expected that he would be really happy for me, but 
you know uh, we have like a slight problem in our culture basically my father you know there wasn't really any smile or anything on his face he just said to me you know women don't need to study that much <laughs> basically he had plans to marry me off basically you know this is the the culture they try to marry you off when you're very young but 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 I didn't get married to um, like I didn't actually comply with them because I didn't think the people that they were proposing to me with or matching me with actually matched me in any way because they were from back home they didn't have you know qualifications and things like this back home Bangladesh Bangladesh so they were uneducated yeah and you know it's only because they're like cousins or some sort of relative that they want to just bring them over to the UK to get the you know they wanted you to marry your cousin yeah you know like they're like maybe like you know like distant cousins any relative because it's like a business um transaction they just want that person to get the passport and to become British and to come to this country and they think once you're here you're going to just be rolling in money and you'll suddenly be rich and they'll be sending all that money back there you know back home to build big mansions and things but I didn't think any of them were suitable I wasn't attracted to any of them they were not educated or anything to my level in no way did they match me you know I'm not asking for something that I don't already have I'm asking for the man to at least match me you know in my qualities over there yeah I I agree that I think a man should match or be above yes um so so with that that cousin sorry that cousin marrying your cousin kind of thrown me a bit um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know, I'm also against it because I've studied okay. science and you can, you know, your kids can have like genetic defects and things like that. And it's not everyone has that, but I have watched a show on YouTube and it says um, cousin marriages or something like this. If you type something like that, it'll probably come up on YouTube. And I think a lot of Pakistani people do that because that documentary was based on um, like the Pakistani community in Birmingham. And they they said it has a very like you know there's a high percentage of Pakistani people coming with inborn error of metabolism, and uh, you know genetic defects for their kids, and the majority like the highest percentage was. The occurrence was in the Pakistani community, but when they tried to interview them, um, they they just didn't want to, you know, say they didn't want to admit that there is any link. They said that you know it's in Allah's hands, it's in God's hands. Whatever happens, happens. We don't believe in any of that. But it's like hit and miss. You're taking a risk. You could end up with a, you know, a whole bunch of kids that have you know a genetic defect. There was one family that all six kids were deaf. They were blind. And they seemed to have some sort of mental problem because they were crying and moaning. And you know, they, they... And that feel goes to NHS. Yeah. Yeah, because so, there were doctors and stuff at the hospital and they were interviewing them and they said, yeah, there were many, you know, of, of the Pakistani community coming in with all these, you know, problems. And one, one boy, he had to take some sort of medication to prevent any more, you know, damage happening because he couldn't process a certain food and that there was like certain protein or something building up causing that damage, irreversible damage in him. So he had to take a specific medication to... I don't know, help him to process it or control it or something like that. And I just thought, you know, when you think about the kids, do you really want to put them at risk like that? Can you, you know, see child after child being born with these type of, you know, conditions? Do you think it should be something that's against the law? I think... 
that there should be genetic testing made compulsory because I worked in Saudi Arabia for five years and Saudi Arabia has the highest, also the highest rate in the entire world for having, you know, genetic uh, defects in their kids is because um, they marry within their own family, not even with their own citizens, like own Saudi citizens. It has to be like, you know, this is that to that level that a lot of families only marry within their own family name, like Al Rahali will only marry Al Rahali, and like Al Johani will only marry Al Johani. And so, so Johani and Al Rahali, you know, they can't marry each other, sort of thing. Um, is that like a, um, what they have in India with the caste system? Is it clans? It's like, you know, that's your family clan. You're somehow related by blood to all the, uh, you know, all, all, all the Al-Rahalis are somehow related. It's like a huge family. It's like a clan. And then all the Al-Jahanis, they are a clan. Like that, basically. So they want to keep their property and their wealth and everything within their clan. So they, you know, they just marry each other. So it's money before health. Yeah. and But they have a genetic testing um process there that you have to like you know when you when you when you matched up to get married to someone the couple before getting married they need to go and have genetic testing and see whether they are at risk of producing children who might be you know with all these illnesses and things and it's you know but it's not compulsory so that's the that's the sad thing about it they should have made it compulsory so these people even some of them they did the testing they were told that your children would be you know have genetic defects but they still went ahead with it because the ultimate choice lies with them so i just felt it was a little bit selfish that you know you put your children's you know lives at risk but yeah it is but they're, if they're motivated by money then i can understand it's not like they loved from. each other or you know i know that woman and i'm dying and like you know i really love her and you know we had a relationship what you can't just tell me not to marry her they are complete strangers to each other because they arranged marriage anyway so if the genetic testing didn't wasn't successful for them and you know, they could at least be rearranged with someone else, maybe another member of the their clan. I just felt, you know, maybe... But, you know, a lot of people, they didn't understand the genetics to that level. Did you get married before your father passed away? After. I, I, I did what I... They said I did what I wanted to do. <laughs> so I didn't choose anyone that my mother chose. I didn't choose anyone that my father chose. And then my late father passed away. Then I completed my degree. Um, you on Tinder? No, no, it wasn't Tinder. <laughs> I went on um, singlemuslim.co.uk, yeah. but I have to say that website it has you know degraded quite a lot. There's a lot of people just wanting like flings and like you know girlfriend boyfriend type of relationships, and they're not serious. There's a lot of people who are married already and they're just looking for something on the side. So I wouldn't really recommend that website, unfortunately. Um, I, I've used muslima.com. So single Muslim. Yeah. So it's regardless of your race, as long as you're Muslim, you can go. Yeah. Okay. Well, there are some people who advertise, like not advertise, but when they're writing their profile, things like I drink alcohol, I'm very relaxed, I don't pray, um, I, I wear whatever I want to wear, you know, like mini skirts and everything. Oh, that's women saying that. Yeah, and even men as well. And and you think to yourself, then then that gives you the freedom to go to, like Tinder, like he said, or you know, there was another website. What's it called? Match. Match.com. Yeah, and there was another one. There's, There's many other Bumble, ones. Hinge. Yes, so they can go to those ones since they're not that religious. They didn't have to come to singlemuslim.co.uk because maybe, you know, I, I just felt that it should be for people who are actually practicing, you know. Mm -hmm. I, see, yeah, I suppose on the Muslim one, they could have, I don't know if they do it, I, I haven't never been on there, they could have 
um, what type of Muslim are you? Traditional, contemporary, yeah. or extremist? Not in the kind of <laughs> they have that. They have a like strict, yeah, uh, moderate, strict. Yeah. Uh, relaxed, and not practicing. Not practicing. Mm. But then you're not a Muslim, really. You're not yeah. Yeah. I did come across some, you know, profiles. I was thinking, but you're coming to a Muslim website. Most of the people's requirement would be that you minimum that you are practicing. So you wouldn't get that many people interested in your profile. So it's, it's like, you know, it's not really worth it to make a profile on there in the first place. But then I say it's, it's a bit like when, um, excuse the term, someone sends a sexual photo mm. to another person mm. and they get offended. Mm. But I, and they, or some women I've heard, they say, listen, I keep on getting um, dick pics from men. Mm. But I say to her, you've got to understand this. There's people out there who don't have a problem with it. Mm. Otherwise, these men wouldn't keep on doing it. Mm. Do you understand? Mm. If you're not getting any reaction, you'd stop doing it. Mm. But if you're getting contenders, mm. do you see what I mean? Or offers? Basically. I don't know. I just think, feel. Think about that. I just feel if if the like you know the woman should see the guy's profile his face his height how you know what qualifications he has what job he does you know does he own property and stuff like that how stable he is in his life and then talk to him and see whether the personalities match up and the humor matches up and whether there you know whether there's any like chemistry there and then if she is interested and you know for her it's a you know deciding factor like i don't know the size of his penis or something then she could ask him you know like can you send me a picture or, or, or like you know with like a tape measure <laughs> i don't know you know if it was you know for yeah a lot of people it is you know kind of important to them um you know the is, penis. Is, is that obviously you've got female friends? Would you say that's a big thing about a man's ability to please? Um, I think, I think, I think, I think there are certain things that need to be met, and this is like a bonus. It's like um, it is something important, but it's like a bonus. It, they would like you know to have you know a guy who. Who is you know the right fit for them sort of thing um you know not not every i mean not every woman has you know like every woman has their own you know idea of what is perfect or ideal for them mm -hmm. um it's not a standard you know size or anything like that but i think she you know most women they would put other things a little bit you know like more like you know prioritize like is the guy violent is he going to you know swear at you or try to beat you or and does he have like you know anger issues those things you know those, those should be a deal breaker no matter how you know nice his penis looks um and also things like you know like if he's trying to live off off of her or get her to pay for things he should be financially stable he should be a gentleman he should be um, you know, like he should be nice and he should come across as someone who is nice, generous and not like, you know, a, a psycho or something like that. Okay. It, maybe some women might say, okay, at least he should be financially stable, a generous kind, even if his face was not that attractive, but he was tall enough and, you know, down there in that region, he was, you know, quite good then you know they probably would overlook the face but other women they're quite into the face and not you know everything else the body so it depends all the women they're just individual 
Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. You're. I just. Yeah. You're, um, you said you work in the bio... Medical. Medical. Explain what's that all about. You said it's about blood testing. Mm. So the nurses or phlebotomists would um, take the blood sample from the patients. And then they also take blood samples at the GP when you're doing your routine bloods. And then they bring it to us in the laboratory. And then we basically process it, book it in, and then run it on the analyzers, get the results on our computer system, release it for the doctors to see. Um, and so it helps the doctors to see whether the person has their diabetes under control, whether they've got some kidney issues, uh, liver issues. You know, even like newborns, they would have their bloods taken to make sure that, you know, their bilirubin is okay, they're not jaundiced, um, you know, when they become yellow and everything because they can't process their mother's milk or whatever milk that was given to them, fed to them, things like that. So just to make sure that you're you know, bloods, the uh, results are within the normal reference ranges and you know, there's nothing wrong with you. Even with heart attacks and things like that, they can, you know, there are certain tests that they do to see whether you've had a heart attack, whether you're experiencing that. So it's just, you know, blood test results that we're processing and releasing. What would you say you've learned from working in that industry that you wish you knew when you started? <laughs> I wish I knew that it would be very difficult to get a part-time position in this in this you know field. I wish I knew that it's almost impossible to get a nine-to-five job in this field that you definitely have to you know almost always have to take part in the night shift, weekend shifts and that it was not family friendly especially for a female because when you deliver your baby a newborn baby I mean it's not really healthy to hand the baby over say to your partner or your husband and go off to work the very next day because you know obviously the research and science has shown that you know the baby would be traumatized and they're more comfortable you know being near their own mother because they've been inside the womb for so long so they're comfortable with the heartbeat the body temperature her voice her tone and obviously you know this recommended to breastfeed the baby at least minimum according to the NHS for six months so a man can't do that you know the man would be kind of alien to the baby so for that reason you know I would I would think that as a female, I think biomedical science isn't really female friendly. It's more is more friendly for males rather than females. Although the work is very easy and you're typing things and on the computer and handling, you know, small tiny tubes of um, blood samples, <clears throat> it's not very laborious. But I think long term, when you're having kids and you're committed, I mean, I, they do give maternity leave and everything in this country, but. You know, like after about a year, you're expected to return to work. I don't think it's, you know, right to put a child who's a year old in, you know, you know, like some sort of childcare or daycare. Mm -hmm. Still bonding process. I suppose that's left to discuss between your husband and you. What do, uh, if your husband's got a, a decent job that he can suffice for you two for that time, then that's ideal mm. in, in that respect. But you'd lose your job because the maternity only covers, I think, maximum 12 months and then <clears throat> you'd have to return to work. And if you didn't, you'd lose that position. And they would then, you know, advertise 
advertise your role your position to someone else and there'd be vacant vacancies basically for someone else to fill so you would lose your position mm, in so places you like have to make a conscious decision then. yeah and you know why would you pay someone else to look after your child what was the point of having a child in the first place um you know as a mother and father it's it's better for the child healthier for the child that their immediate you know relatives look after the child rather than um you know put them in some sort of institute or institution like you know daycare uh, it's been shown by research a lot of people are actually quite angry about that research and what the science has said but people don't want to you know come to terms with that or admit that you know they don't want to feel like bad parents by leaving their children in daycare and both parents are working and they're forced to do it they have no other option they have pressures of their mortgages and their life so they don't want to hear that it's unhealthy to leave a child you know in daycare they they still want that option even though the science has shown actually it's not good for your kids to be left in daycare they have like attachment issues they have like psychological issues growing up they're not getting full one-on-one -on -one attention I would go into teaching instead even though the pay isn't um, great compared to you know biomedical science even biomedical science isn't a great pay either but at least you know it's up there 35 40 but with the teaching is only like 25 um, 27 like that I mean yeah yes I, i'm trying to you know go into it now i've applied actually to start in september but i need to hear back from the places that i've applied to you know they do the training know. yeah because there's always a need for teachers yeah so even if you took two years off if you had another child mm -hmm. there'd still be a place left for you as a teacher yeah when you come back yeah this is what i want Yes, this is what I want. I realized that there's a shortage of teachers. It's easy to get the teaching jobs wherever you go, even if you took off two, three years for your children. But, you know, biomedical science, <laughs> I wouldn't do it again. Not as a woman, but for guys, I would definitely recommend they can go and do it. You know, if I was a guy, I would do night shifts because there's only like three nights in a row and then you get the whole week off. I think three or four nights and that's it. If you were living a single life and you could sleep during the day, you didn't have anyone else in your building, you know, like in your house or something disturbing you, mm -hmm. you could do that if you were, like, I don't know, living in a studio or something or a one-bedroom flat. You could easily do that, sleep during the day, go and do the night shift and get it done. Because during the night, it's very quiet. There's less people, obviously. This is um, only for urgent situations. Um, people who just gave birth in the middle of the night, someone who had a heart attack in the middle of the night, someone who has collapsed. So the samples, blood samples are not that much compared to the day shift. And you do some maintenance on the machines and get them ready for the day, people. And you don't have all your colleagues in your face. And sometimes, you know, mm. when you're working, you have these like, you know, they, they call them boardroom uh, tactics or, you know, games basically where more people are playing each other off or throwing people under the bus so you don't have people you know in your face office trying to report politics. yeah that's the office politics you don't have people you know trying to report you or trying to make problems for you you feel more free you can go on breaks you can have your coffee no you, no one's watching you and your time so long as you get the work done that's fine mm, I understand. what you've been a great guest thank you very much what's the impact you want to have in the world the impact oh, I don't I don't know I just feel like I can't impact anyone because I'm just one person but whoever I come across if they need any help or whatever I always 
you know anyone that comes up to me and asks me for money i just give it yeah i do whatever i have like one pound two pound five pound ten pound i just give it um i try to be positive i try my best anyway i try to always give the right advice that i would give to myself i always try to speak honestly and sincerely based on my own life experience and my own to the best of my ability basically i'm not going to ever try to mislead anyone or give anyone bad uh, directions or anything you know if someone asked me where is the cafe or where is the train station i would tell them genuinely if i didn't know i would just say no i didn't know but i wouldn't try to bluff it or let the person walk around in circles and give them the wrong directions and, and i apply that in everything in all aspects of my life i just try to be good with the people that are directly in front of me and donate as well donate to those countries that you can't reach that you would probably never go to or you can't ever afford to go to those countries i would just donate you know regularly if you can and that's it like you know just try your best do what you can within your limits thanks a lot for that Thank I will you. say, when it comes to giving money, I don't give money at all. <laughs> I don't. I Especially not in this country. I will buy a child food mm. if they're hungry, but I never give people money because everybody can work. When you've got disabled positions and disabled car parks, everybody can do something. And I'm not an advocate for in the, being an enabler, encouraging people to beg mm. and um, be lazy. I just, you know, when I look at some of these people, sometimes they look a bit, um, like, you know, very, very skinny, very haggard. There's loads of charities out there as well that help people for addictions, help people for homeless, help people, all different things. I just feel like I didn't, like, I'm not giving it, like, a huge amount which they can go and spend on alcohol or drugs or something. I just thought maybe they wanted a cup of coffee. No, one piece, one pea too many. <laughs> go towards drugs. <laughs> and go towards stuff that they don't need. Buy them the drink and you see how they think. Yeah, sometimes I do that. Sometimes I say, oh, you know what? I mean, here's um, like I don't know, uh, a food place, um, maybe like some chicken chips or something, and I'll just get that for you. Or should I buy a drink for you? Should I get a sandwich for you? And you know, sometimes I do just buy the food for them. But if I'm in a rush, I'm you know rushing by. Sometimes I do actually, you know, I do actually give the money, but it's very little. Okay, well, you, everybody does their thing a little way different. <laughs> you know, so that's a good thing. Alright then, well thanks a lot for that. Thank you very much. It was um, nice talking to you. And we wish you well. Thank you very much. We hope you liked that Taxi Chronicles interview. Don't forget to share and subscribe to get the latest episode. Ever considered investing in a continent with the fastest growing economies and population on Earth? The same continent that holds 30% of the world's known natural resources. Listen to our sister podcast, Africa Investor Stories, where you hear real investors with real stories from around the world share their experience of investing in Africa. We post Monday and Thursday at 10am British Standard Time.